Uh, welcome back to this episode, a number of which we are uncertain, of Business Under the Influence, to my aft, I don't know how this happened, but somehow David's at my aft now, is David, he is a leadership expert, he is also a process management, process improvement, my god, this is episode two, you guys, <laughs> I've had wine already, oh, fun aunt wine drunk, Um, David does process improvements, process development, employee engagement, leadership, and we'll teach you how to fire someone so that they cry, a fun fact about David is that he once encountered and befriended a family of poltergeists in a haunted cave in Portugal. Oh. True fact. Yep. I know, it's very wholesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, over a hopscotch away, because I have to jump Kristen, is my friend Ban. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to <laughs> translate like having to jump a person in this. It's a bot. It's a line. He's on the far <laughs> side. <laughs> but like the full circle anyway, away. So hopscotch okay. away is Ben. Uh, ben does a lot of uh, figuring out if you actually can company and then <laughs> making you company. And whether I that involves what company. type of company you are, Ben knows that stuff. So <laughs> that's what Ben do. Um, also, fun fact about Ben is he actually invented a new yoga pose, which engages every muscle in your body. However, the last three yogis to attempt it broke all of their ligaments. Mm. And so therefore, it has been banned from the International Yoga uh, Association. It's called anxiety. <laughs> I have so many questions about the whole, the whole fucking introduction. I'm so confused. How do you break all of your ligaments? You can't break anxiety. So they they snapped, snapped all the ligaments. Is that better? No, I think you can only tear them. Can a doctor verify? Okay. Okay. To all the doc, to all the doctors that listen to this podcast, please write in. To <laughs> ask. like we have a PO box. Um, I also like seriously though. I have an honorary medical degree based on my doctor friends. They're like she can do an emergency Google. tracheotomy on an airplane. No, I've watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. So mm, yeah. Okay, Ben. Oh, just remember you... tracheotomy. Get a good pinch on the trach because it will shrink down the throat. Mm, like a flared base. Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> So this is my associate Kristen. Uh, to my left on my screen, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> she's worked everywhere from storefront to real estate to big corporate to successful self-employed adult. A fun fact about Kristen is that she lives in a closet, which you can finally see behind her. No, this is actually her apartment. Because no one has yet given her a sock. Please send one to P.O. Box 300, New York Avenue, Corvallis, Oregon. Grand Rapids, Michigan. He really would. This is the campaign to free Kristen. Thank but you. like, you know, my dog's name is Dobby, right? Okay. He's really cute. He's really, really cute. He's so but adorable. his defective air ear. No, but like, they're not. They're extra effective because he can oh. do two up, both down, one up, and then when it's like windy outside. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why people need to watch the YouTube one because really that was do. phenomenal. That was just a bunch of awkward pauses on Spotify. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but I feel like they get what I was trying to say. <laughs> they feel it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the more important question is, what is everyone drinking tonight? This is the two-parter, so we're on already the second alcohol. Part. Yeah. We have heckin' big drinking. Mm-hmm. So what is everyone now at this point drinking? I'm still finishing off my Chateau Saint-Michel Riesling 2020, but this is all I have left. And then I think I'm going to drink some Truly after that. Nice. Because I need to hydrate. Yeah. Uh, I am finishing off my bottle of Haunt Stampede from (laughs) 14 Hands. It's fantastic. Red blend. Red blends are great. Watch the previous episode. David, it's your turn. Well, I'm here to make mistakes. So I have... I have Fireball. Jesus fucking Christ. It's a Monday also, I know. for those I of have, you that are lit. It's a Monday, yeah. I do have a double shot of that, and then I will be going back to my Splitten Strata Fresh Hop IPA from Calipuga Brewing. So hmm. um, I'm useless this episode. I feel like we're managing expectations and letting <laughs> people know ahead of time it's going to be a train wreck. Absolutely. I hope it's comedy because it won't be informational. But like, did I tell you guys that Melinda started labeling our episodes A and B? I did actually see that. I do see that. When when we record two in a row, she's like, I feel like we should label them. And I was like, you're you're probably right. (laughs) Because last episode, I was far more functional than this one. So I I did see that. And I was like, that's smart. I don't know if that is your idea or Melinda's idea. No, Melinda's a smart one. So Um, in this episode, we're discussing value propositions. Um, So Benjamin, what is a value proposition? It is where a proposition holds value. (laughs) We're going to start there. We're going to start at the base. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Okay, so I mean, there are a lot of different things, right? Like we've discussed project management and change management, and that can have value, or the thing you bring to Shark Tank can have value, and you are proposing it in either context. I feel like it's very similar. If you're going to propose anything, be it a project or a product, you're getting really stoked, uh, maybe doing some pre-workout before you get on stage and then tell all of your employees or investors what you think is going to provide value to the world. And the value proposition should be, in theory, one sentence of what you think the world will be better with. Okay, so give me an example, Ben, of a value prop for something that already exists, but you want money for. So um, uh, a coffee chain. Coffee chain is fantastic. Uh, Starbucks is a fascinating business case where coffee shops existed before Starbucks, and coffee obviously did. It's been drank for a very long time. Starbucks went, yeah, but what if people could sit down and hang out at a communal place? And then they sold coffee, and and that was it, at like a nice enough establishment that they just copy-pasted, and it fucking worked. Uh, so... I feel like you were kind of joking when you were saying define a value proposition for something that already exists, but that literally works. So like if you take something that is very common elsewhere in the world and find a way to apply it to where you are in the world, that can be a very valuable proposition. Because like this is a very like common thing in like the Arabic communities, things like that is coffee shops are huge. Mm -hmm. Kristen. I feel like so I just saw this on TikTok. An example, I think. So candles, right? You can buy candles everywhere. Um, and I, yeah. And a guy was like, I have candles. Cause somebody was talking about like Yankee candles and bath and body works. And he was like, I have candles and it's like, OMG, why am I alive? 
which has a great scent, but at the bottom, it also has a QR code with a specific Spotify playlist and what you should drink when you're listening to the playlist and play and, and lighted a candle. And I was like, I would, as a millennial with adult money, 100% buy that fucking candle because I'm obsessed with Spotify and I'm obsessed with drinking fancy cocktails mm-hmm. while burning fancy that's candles. That's incredible. I feel like yep. that's, A, wait, can you send me a link? B, yes, yes. Uh, that is a great example of, I think, David's original question, where what is the value proposition of something that you think exists, but the value is not necessarily the product itself. A candle is a candle. It's fucking fine. But... <laughs> An, an, a, a previous candle or a previous scented candle was just like it smells good it covers up smells it might create kind of an atmosphere or a space and that's great yeah set a mood if you want um but a value the value proposition of a candle that comes with a playlist that comes with some vibes so to speak you aren't selling the candle you are selling that experience Right. No one's buying that candle like, man, my living room just smells like dog all the time and I want to set a candle. There's something that sends a candle for the user and we can talk about user stories and UX design and all of that, but they're selling it for the user that wants to sit in their living room and think about their life. Yeah. And that's a and, different thing than, you know, just a regular scented candle. Well, and the super smart thing there is the infrastructure was already built by someone else. They're just linking you to a Spotify oh, yeah. playlist they curated. <laughs> the storefronts already they, exist. Yeah, they had to do like almost zero work on that. They just had to curate a playlist. And the concept of the product already exists. That you make. You bought the alcohol. They don't provide the alcohol for the cocktail. Like, that's just, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that person's a genius. Yeah, because it's like making candles is a thing. Like you don't, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're like yeah. all of the formulas, whether it's mm-hmm. soy or paraffin or beeswax or whatever the fucking, like whatever the little wicks are, like it all exists already. Yeah. You just decide which things you want to use for the candles that you're making in the sense like, Fucking yeah, piece like of cake. All yeah. of us could Google this and make a candle tomorrow. Yeah, I've it done it. I've made candles. candles. Yeah, yeah. Not like good. I made candles as a child in Sunday school, but you know, crayons. But like, crayons <laughs> make amazing. That get candles. dark really quick. No, but why did you make candles? Because candles are flammable, or crayons are flammable as well. So it's a super good candle because you drop, you melt a bunch of crayon wax into the shape you want with a wick coming through it, and then the the crayon is also flammable. Ooh, uh, so this is a very side tangent, but um, if you are ever in an emergency, it's always good to have a 12-pack of candles because if you light a Crayola, or 12-pack of candles, 12-pack of crayons, if you light a Crayola crayon on fire, it should burn for about a half an hour. So you get six hours of light off of a 12-pack of candles or 12-pack of crayons, which costs nothing. <laughs> But it is a uh, Crayola is you do want to buy name brand. In this case, you want to go to Dollar Tree. You want to go Crayola because uh, Crayola is known for its ability to actually burn a consistent amount of time. You can just light it on fire. It doesn't need to wick. Just literally just light the crayon on fire. Wait, what? Yeah. Just like Crayola better. We better get sponsored by Crayola. You know what I mean? I am. I am simping hard for Crayola right now. Like, mm-hmm. show me the money, daddy. Okay. So value propositions. Okay. So Ben. For something that doesn't exist yet. Give me a value proposition for um, uh, flying monkey robot butlers. That is self-explanatory. I feel yeah. like that, that was that was a softball. Give me something, yeah. something maybe a little more difficult. Just flying monkeys. Yeah. Just flying monkeys. Fl- yep. No, flying uh, monkey robots. Just that. Without the butler aspect. Yep. 
Flying monkey robots, I feel like you're describing drones, to be honest. Just put a little... No, like but they've got, Amazon... like, free, they've got free will and shit now, because they're flying monkeys that are also robots. Ooh. The value proposition is described from the perspective of your audience, which is the mm-hmm. the problem, but... So who are you selling it to? What ha- like, walk us through the value prop, your process so... through a value prop of flying <clears throat> monkey robots. You have the... made a flying monkey robot. Right. So the value proposition is dependent on the problem you are trying to solve, which I hate the word problem. I don't think that's the right word, but let's talk about entertainment. Flying monkeys are now a thing. Let's investigate all of the value, only value you, propositions only you. that can be there. Only me as an end user. So I'm the person receiving a flying monkey. No, you, know, you only you are the person who has flying monkey robots. No one else has made flying right. monkey robots. But it's it doesn't matter you. that scarcity in and of itself doesn't matter. Oh, I'm just what saying, matters like, is the you... person who is experiencing flying robots. Yeah. So you are not uh, you are not entering a world that has already existed. So you're making a value prop for what you want to do with these flying monkey robots. Right. Which could be entertainment mm-hmm. are they cheap to make are they entertaining for small children do they not bite do they not have uh cancerous chemicals Fuck right, it. So let's, sell let's, it to let's defunct it company it's toys a, r us it is, it is literally a flying monkey you've added robot parts to to make it fly i sorry my brain is wrapping itself around am i gluing wings onto a living monkey or no, have i created robotic. a robot monkey that i am then you're putting robotic wings, wings on onto a living monkey you're, so you're oh, a robot that's you're like a, a robot whole different wings. thing though like you're like okay those are like so okay. <laughs> what i'm trying to describe is that the value proposition is not from the perspective of the creator because um. scarcity itself does not matter Oh, if that's you fair. clip your toenails, there's only one of your big right-hand toe nail that has now been clipped in existence. That's disgusting. That's foul. Nobody wants that, even though there is a single one in existence. Okay, so that was my the value problem. proposition is not from the perspective of the creator. The value proposition is from the perspective of the end user. So I was trying to give you a very unique product, and right. I fell into the fallacy of believing that since flying monkeys with robot wings was not something everyone would want it's therefore valuable and that is a fallacy as a creator whereas a flying monkey robot who is fully robotic flying monkey may have a wider appeal yes (laughs) god damn it (laughs) what what you have described a robot monkey before i bought a live monkey with robot wings on it like hands down Really? I would want a live monkey with robot wings. No, because can you imagine the pain and suffering that that little monkey went through? And also it can now throw poop from the air. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a, that's a problem. And also yeah. their like strength to size ratio is out of this fucking world because fucking of ligaments. Unreal. Listen yeah. to the last episode, but ligaments, their okay. ligaments connect on a larger <laughs> portion of their uh, muscle or on their bone. So their muscles actually exert more force than per like weight and size than uh, ours do. That's why so they're they can stronger. Fling shit it's why further. it's why chimpanzees are so terrifyingly strong. Is because their ligaments connect on a longer portion of their so bone. I, I just don't Maybe even know how sentence. to respond. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but value proposition: the <laughs> what you're describing is a gravity gun. Is hey, the... I just I want everyone to remember the shots I took at the beginning of this. 
He's going to eat my burrito. And, oh, you have a burrito? Uh, I'm yeah, so fucking I ordered jealous. Chipotle in the last episode, if you guys are watching <laughs> this in succession. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize you actually ordered it. Yeah. So I follow through on my promises. Oh, you're a leader, Ben. <laughs> I think Ben is a trailblazer. Yeah. Okay, so uh, now that Ben is eating a burrito, Kristen, let's discuss something that neither of us are, well, you probably know more about than me because you're smarter than I am. Mom, don't listen to this podcast. true fact. Uh, What would you do, like, if you had an idea for a service, product, or thing, how would you just determine that that, how would you determine that that's valuable to the world? So, like, if... I invented a flying robot butler monkey, let's say. Hypothetically. Yeah. Because I think like, I mean, and I'm sure Ben would probably agree to this uh, because it lives in startup land, is identifying a problem that has not yet been solved, which to the point of the candles with the Spotify playlist and cocktail recipe is a problem, which is why he doesn't really like the word problem because it's not really like a problem. It's just like a millennial lifestyle thing. It's like, oh my God, I can get drunk and listen to music while I burn this candle. Oh my God. So like, we're going to fucking buy that shit because- Again, we have adult money now, so it's a real problem. Also, have you guys heard about adult Happy Meals? No. Yeah, McDonald's just launched adult Happy Meals. My friend texted me because he sent me an inappropriate picture of Grimace, the toy that came in the meal. (laughs) He's like... Does does this come with fuzzy handcuffs or like burger cuffs? It is a questionably designed plastic toy shaped like Grimace. And he was like, does this seem weird to you? And I was like, where the fuck did you get that? So he said, adult happy meal. And I was like, as millennials, we are aggressively taking back our childhood now that we have the money to do so. That's I've, basically where I, we're at. I feel like part That's of it real. is- I'm looking that up. I, I mean, the, the thing that breaks my heart is it's probably more so we have nothing to look forward to. So all we have left is nostalgia and we will use every ounce of our money to fund the Transformers series- of yeah. Like, if there was ever a live-action Pokemon film, you best believe that fucker is crowdfunded. What? Ryan Reynolds was in it. Oh, that's, that's not real. Detective Pikachu is not a real thing. I refuse to believe it. But also, they were like, I mean, fucking... He was phenomenal. How can there like, be a live-action... Yeah. There can't be a live-action Pokemon movie because Pokemon are not real. No, but I mean, like, uh, in the sense of they just recreate the first game. Exactly. Mm, as I see. That okay. Kind of, like nothing oh, okay. original. Like don't okay. do anything original. Just right. literally just recreate everything we had as children. Like it. Beat for beat. It. Yeah. I mean, like, oh well, my that's god. That's a great example of you don't need a unique value proposition. You just need the value a proposition sucker. could already be done. You just need someone to buy it. Ben bringing it back around to the whole point. Yep. Good job. You know, we went off the rails. This, this is what happens when Ben doesn't have port. We need to make sure he never drinks port again. Oh, I thought you said pork. And I was like, what? That's weird. But okay. So value proposition, if I'm trying to sell something to some, it's like the, what's the problem that you identified? Because sometimes people identify problems that aren't like as big of a problem to Ben's point. Like you can think that it's a problem that like people want to buy your toenails. Uh. Gravity gun is what is usually (laughs) described in textbooks. Gravity gun is something that is incredible technology that is unique, has never been done before. Nobody fucking cares. Like, nobody is going to a shelf to buy this. Maybe they are. The, the point is just gun. a random example. Whatever you want it to be. 
in the game, you can just reverse it's the gravity of the It's a gun that shoots gravity. It reverses gravity. It's, the technology could be valuable, but it has not been organized in a way that is providing value to anyone. And while you have done something incredible and novel, that does not mean it has value for any end user. Unless it was military-grade weaponized. Correct. I mean, then sure, it's been I'm organized sure. in a way that provides value. I'm sure DARPA is all on that. But that's, yeah. yeah. Or reverse value. reverse gravity, where like somebody could shoot you and then you're just like floating and you're like, oh no. That's well, even much... worse is this reverse gravity where you push away from the gravity body, in which case. That's what I meant. Like oh. where they're floating in the air. Well, I assume you, uh, yep, nope, that makes sense to me. I mean, also, but we could also do like, heavy grab where it's like adding more gravity and it's like squishing people oh we lost ben. Oh, no, oh. Ben's a <laughs> no, we lost ben. <laughs> oh my okay. god okay so, uh... so what's the point of a value proposition like where does this come up when you're talking to potential investors when you're talking to whoever it is why do you put together a value proposition and when do you develop a value proposition that's the, the same problem. fucking question <laughs> The value proposition is is often self, I don't want to say self-explanatory because that's kind of, it's not. The value proposition is pretty organic. It happens immediately and then everything else comes from that. You're experiencing a pain point. You have an idea for something. Your idea is the value proposition. That's great. What it needs is refinement down to, you know, maybe one sentence or two or three words that really encompasses both the problem statement as well as what you are providing to fix it right we hear all the time like a social platform for x while there are a million of those like social media is a, a common thing that sentence is a really good example of you know what you're describing or how you refine an idea you have because you have an idea for something you have an idea for a new discord a new slack a new whatever Instead of the 100-page white paper you would write on all of the specifications and features and newness and how you would do it, boil it down. Boil it down to one sentence. Why are you doing this? Why is it new? What is it providing? And so I think when you say, how do you define a value proposition, it is really how you refine a value proposition. Your idea is the value proposition. When that just like spawns in your drunk mind at 2 a.m. outside of the club, that's the value proposition. Cause like, so my brain uh, relates it to like retail, retail days, like big box stuff where it's like, here is your feature benefit and the value proposition. Here's how I'm selling you, whatever the made up bullshit is that I'm selling you and why it's important to you. So. Oh, it's the same thing. If you see a washing machine at, uh, you know, a big box store and there's a sticker on it that describes some feature or benefit, they are addressing the core value is washing your clothes easily. But, you know, it's describing benefits. It's describing smaller value propositions within that. I think when you take that and go to a Shark Tank environment, I want to say Shark Tank is itself kind of a lot and over the top and ridiculous, but the universe of, hey, I would like $2 million to commercialize my value proposition. You aren't fundamentally saying anything different. You are distilling it to be harder hitting, right? Like I'm not on Shark Tank going, it's also blue. Who doesn't like the color blue? Like that's dumb. You don't have a thousand bullet points of small features. You've distilled it all down to what is the one thing you are doing? People need to wash their clothes. I wash clothes better, faster, single word descriptors. And if you can't really distill it down like that, it's not a bad idea. 
It just means you haven't fully thought through the implications of what you're trying to commercialize. So what's the difference between an elevator pitch and a value proposition? Not much. An elevator pitch is a conversational value proposition. I feel like the elevator pitch is more about the company as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's the human as opposed to your specific thing. Cause I mean, but I guess it depends on what your thing is too. So like what we're kind of talking about when it comes to like shark tank stuff is that you have a unique candle Mm -hmm. that has these specific things and that is your entire fucking company. But if you are a business consultant or a coat manufacturer for mythical beings, Maybe oh, you have that's a, like that's a hell of a good area, right? I mean, because they all get cold sometimes. You know yes. what I'm saying? Like Harp- a lot of them have... hashtag herpes need coats. Yeah, they have short fur or none at that's all. A great so episode they're like, title. They're cold a lot. Which one? Harpies have no fur. Harpy- Harpies need coats. Okay, we, oh, have we options. can do better. There's... We can do better. Anyway, well, You're... flying robot monkeys was my first one that I wrote mm, down. Yeah. So well, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a team of flying robot monkeys. But... So when you have like multiple revenue streams or concepts that are associated with the business, then I feel like the elevator pitch could be more different than I create candles that make sad, sad, sad millennials happy. (laughs) I mean, yes, yes and no. I think the objective of your elevator pitch is to immediately preface continued conversation with your audience. And your audience could be a venture capitalist with money in which case your elevator pitch is going to be different from, say, plugging your own business on a podcast where you're trying to reach the end user of your product. Uh, And that the elevator pitch is a way to propose your value proposition conversationally in a very, very bite-sized amount, depending on your audience. But you definitely need to understand your value proposition before you can tailor your conversation to your audience. So like if I was pitching to VCs or I was pitching to investors or I was pitching to my mom, my elevator pitch would change, but my value proposition should be consistent throughout. Yes, absolutely. Well, no. Yep. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to say yes. Because, uh, Sorry, the long-term value to the venture capitalist is that you will have a theoretical 10x return or be a unicorn and have a 100x return. You aren't pitching your company idea to your mom like she is going to make $100 million. You haven't met her mom? Yes, I have. Damn it. Have you? Oh. Yeah. We're good friends. That also tracks. <laughs> that also tracks. But she probably value... likes it better than she likes us. Yep, she steals our friends. It's fine. Whatever, it's Ben. Cute. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> elevator pitches <laughs> are. I think they are overblown, and some of my friends in the VC world are probably going to get mad at me for that. They've become this thing. Like the reason they're called elevator pitches is you accidentally end up in the elevator with someone like a, a VC exec or someone who has money that could help you, right? And you have the 12-second elevator ride to get a second conversation. The entire point of the elevator pitch is to have a follow-up conversation. That's it. But it's become this thing where, like, now it's named, now it's a thing, now you walk into a room with a suit on and give an official elevator pitch, and, like, it's stupid. I don't like it. But I feel like I apply that to the aggressive amount of networking that I've done in the last few years where it's different. Like people, the definition of an elevator pitch is a quick, concise way to describe what you do, who you help, how you help them. And then in a presumed like 
you're in a situation where you're going to theoretically continue to connect with other people. That's a way to, it's like speed dating to me, like sort of yes. in the same concept where it's like, Hey, this is like all you need to know about my business in a fucking nutshell. And then people are like, business consulting, tell me more about that or process improvement. What does mm -hmm. that mean? It's like more of the conversation starter. So I feel like you, in the original intention or description of elevator pitch, it's not as valuable as I think, what it is. I mean, I think uh, I split hairs a little bit because I disagree huh. with the colloquial terms. So you're not wrong. It is a bite-sized expression of value proposition to continue discussing. Uh, but when you think about it in that speed dating sense, your sentence structure starts out as though this person already wants to listen to you. They've already Obviously. sat down and <laughs> you, you are in an official setting and you are able to present to them versus what I really consider a good elevator pitch. When I say conversational, I literally mean conversational. Like, oh, hey, you're Steve, right? I really loved that article you wrote. You know, I've done something similar myself. Uh, we're working on this new kind of confocal microscope. I'd love to get coffee and hear your thoughts sometime. Here's a business card. That to me is an elevator pitch. And that is conversational. That is literally, I've met this person in an elevator compared to I have sat down in front of someone and I've said, so I am building X. It does Y. I'm building a new form of social interaction on the web. Let's talk again. One is formal and one is informal. Although I feel like I've turned this entire episode onto my complaints about the use of the term elevator pitches. Which is fine. That's what we're here for. Um, so but what I feel I'm hearing like... is, oh, sorry, go ahead. You fucking wrecked. You better be sorry. So um, in that case, the splitting hairs is over the intention of what you're trying to do with the words that you're using. So like the definition Correct. of elevator pitch as it sits is not really, you're basically there's two different versions, which I also would agree that it's like, if you're in this setting, this is the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And if you're in this setting, this is the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And if you're at Shark Tank, that's a whole fucking different thing that you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Elevator pitch became very formal because we you know, put this label elevator pitch on it and we teach it in MBA programs and business programs all over the country, that puts it on a pedestal like a homework assignment when I think we forget the original intent is literally just how to network. How do you yeah. be a sociable person? I That's like, it. Is that uh, business difference? plans are kind of the same way too. So is that like, like people are obsessed. Sorry, go David. Oh, sorry. You fucking... say, is that the difference between like business bumble and business like dating in a bar? Yeah. Like elevator pitches were meant to be dating in a bar and then the world happened and VCs are centered in very specific places and people travel to go there to pitch to them. And so it became business bumble where you have to like mm -hmm. curate a profile to be the way you want to be perceived by someone who didn't meet you in a bar. Exactly. And I don't disagree with the new form of elevator pitches. I think it is necessary and I think it's a very important part of like distilling your value proposition because that's really what it's about. You're going to get an audience with a VC or your cousin Joey who has $10,000 and can invest in your restaurant idea. Like, I don't care who you are pitching to. There will be a formal moment and being prepared for that is having a very, very well distilled value proposition. I just wish people would remember the social and conversational aspect of how to network, which was the original intent of an elevator pitch. That's why it's called an elevator pitch. So how I'm do you, salty. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have uh, we have flying robot monkey butlers. Um, how do you determine what you do that people need? How do you determine the problem you're solving? 
very often you've already experienced it. A lot of people, I would massive amount of startup founders are in the industry they're starting a business for, which is kind of like fucking duh. Someone has 30 years experience as a solar farm engineer, and they have a new idea of how to like orient the landscape for a solar farm. Yeah, they're in that industry. They start a business doing that. That's an entrepreneur. But I think that the, I mean, the fundamental reason for that is they're experiencing the problem. They are the one who understands the industry. They're the one who has been there for 30 years and is able to define what is needed, what will sell, how to sell it, and all of these things that kind of encompass an entire business plan from this value proposition. I know absolutely nothing about managing a restaurant. If I walked into a restaurant and was like, I have something that's going to make your employees happy. It's a pizza party. <laughs> that's fucking stupid. Like I know nothing about what it's like to work in a kitchen, what type of restaurant, anything. So to answer the question, like where do value proposition value propositions come from or how do you define it? You usually experience the problem yourself and then you have an idea to solve it. And then you need a lot of money to commercialize this idea. How do you, uh, how do you vet your, your value prop? Like, how do you know that's actually valuable? Like, is it annoying to you or is it annoying to everybody? How do you actually vet that? Ask people. So that's the dumbest way to answer that. It's really simple. Uh, ask people. Just anyone experiencing this problem, anyone tangent to this problem, anyone tangent to this question for candles with a QR code on the bottom, chatting with your friends. Hey, when you light a scented candle, what are you usually doing? What are you usually thinking about? Are you watching Netflix? Are you hanging out with your significant other? Are you having sexy time? Are you hanging out with your cat? Because that's what you do, right? Like those are separate activities for anyone that's listening. <laughs> so, so to put this in context, Look, I asked the question for Ben because this guy is a mutant. Where I have had a lot of bad lunches and a lot of overpriced beers at places because he's asked, he's needed to find out something from somebody uh, to figure out if what he's working on is actually valuable for a startup he's working with. David and... is my entrepreneur support friend. I will text <laughs> yeah, him and I... be like, hey, I need to find out something stupid. And he will be my wingman, not to get a date, but to get a very specific piece of information from a bar owner or from a hospital. Fuck it. David will break his arm. Let's go. I'm here, I'm here to help. Yeah. Can so, confirm. Uh, yeah. So that's why I asked. Like a lot of times people say I have a good value prop. It solves a problem. I don't think a lot of people <clears throat> think through, is this a problem for you? Or is this a problem for the town you live in? Or is this actually a problem that you can scale? Because Some people solve problems for a town of 600 people. And you're like, cool. Doesn't that's scale neat. to Seattle. Doesn't scale to Boston. Doesn't even scale to like... Lebanon, Oregon, hypothetically. So, <laughs> just in case. We, yeah, just we had case. An idea. So, like a lot of times, like I feel like that's the uh, a lot of people like when people hear value proposition, they're like, "I do solve a problem. I do have something that fixes something that is a pain point for me." Like, how does someone? Let's say I'm in like a uh, bumblefuck Ohio, population 525 people. It's a real Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah, we <laughs> export. Yeah, Sandusky, Ohio. We export golden widgets. I think I have a solution for something outside of the widget world. How do I in Sandusky, Ohio, tell someone about my flying monkey robot butlers? Who do I talk to to clarify and legitimize my value prop? I think it's that you're never going to define a, define a value proposition in a bubble. 
if I have an idea and I have a couple friends who are on board with that idea and have the skill sets to implement, you know, maybe that's a, a contractor, maybe that's a software engineer, maybe that's whoever it is that has the skill set to join me in this endeavor. We haven't done any valuation. Just because three people agree with me doesn't mean I have a good idea at all. You have to go out and talk to people. And if you don't get out of your own validation bubble, you're going to have a really bad time when people ask you hard questions. Like, yeah, but I don't have that problem. Say you invented a hoverboard. Turns out that a hoverboard only goes two miles an hour and everyone you talk to just rides their bicycle anyway. It's called the threat of substitutes. And if you don't go find that out by talking to commuters, you're going to have a really bad time and waste a whole lot of years. And I think that's that's really where you get into total addressable market. Like who experiences this pain point? Who's willing to pay for it? Is it even worth, are they willing to pay for it? They might have a problem. Like, uh, I don't know, my fridge door is heavy and I'm tired and lazy. I'm not going to pay $10,000 for a new fridge door that you've invented. I will pay a dollar for a new fridge door you've invented. So now you have a sliding scale about like, where is your addressable market? Who's experiencing this? Uh, but if you try and define all of those, define all those questions on sliding scales in a bubble, you're just guessing and it's not going to go well. So like if I have, so my value proposition isn't necessarily realistic in the beginning. It's just going to be adjusted based on further information. Like I create a value proposition based on what me and my drunk buddy came up with at the bar. Yep, can confirm. Like, oh, we have a better series of government we're going to <laughs> put forth, <laughs> hypothetically. Uh, and we get drunk, and then we walk out of the bar, and we're like, oh my god, this is the greatest idea we've ever had. We figured a better system of governance. And then we talk to our next buddy when we're sober, and he's like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever listened to. Then we adjust <laughs> our series of governance based on what he said. Um, oh, that does make sense. That is a that is a concern. Okay, cool. We got that. So is your value proposition, like, do you want it to be ever evolving? And is there a point in which case, like, is there a hard line of a value prop where you stop development because you're like this isn't what Ooh, i want anymore do that's you a always, really good question do you always just keep it going to always establish and solve the pain point that gets you paid Ooh, there are so many facets to that question i think the simple answer is evolving yes absolutely do not have a drunken idea and then follow exactly that idea to the letter until you die bad idea evolving yes constantly evolving no because at some point you're going to go past your peak of that idea and evolve it, evolve it into something. Maybe there's something to be said for refining. There is something to be said for 10 years down the line after you've commercialized it, after you've created it, you realize your user base is changing, the world has changed around it. So the people that are attracted to this idea or product are different. In that sense, companies, yes, have to evolve. And so where do you draw the line between my original product or service or value proposition idea is evolving? Okay, I've really solidified it. I am pitching to VCs. I've nailed it. They love it. We have Series C funding and we're making money to 20 years later when you are figuring out, shit, the world's not quite the same. We are still evolving. And I think that all really blurs together. And what you need to do, what your job is, whoever is helming that product or company, 
is recognize the external factors and recognize who the end user is. You can nail it for a single end user, but if they evolve and you don't notice, you're back to square one. And so being in tune with who and why is using your product service idea, whatever it might be, is just going to kind of keep you on those railroad tracks, if you know what I mean. So my my question, I mean, <clears throat> like, but the real world example I would ask as like kind of a business case study is like uh, the boring company for Elon Musk. Like Tesla creates cars. And they create cars, however you feel about them. They create electrical vehicles that are very popular and are normalizing the market. His uh, SpaceX program is launching missions on the regular. His boring company started as a mass transit program from San Francisco to San Diego to Los Angeles. Mm. And it is now a 13-mile hole that a tesla car can drive at 25 miles an hour by itself with all occupants and they sell flamethrowers yeah they all sell flamethrowers so like (laughs) when at what point in time does a company where they have a space program a car company like all of those things when why and how did you feel as a case study the boring company went off the goddamn rails for the value proposition Ooh. I mean, a long time ago, but, <laughs> I, but that also doesn't mean they aren't successful looking yes, at it from an yeah. outside perspective. Like, to be perfectly honest, there could be a bunch of shit behind the scenes that is tax reasons, and they scored a whole bunch of wins and don't have to pay a bunch of taxes. Like, there are, for a, a, a very strange corporate decision, like the entire life of the boring company, the value proposition could be internal. Mm-hmm. It could be such that we don't see it. or it could literally be someone had enough power to make this change happen. And then it went from the C-suite executives down and no one stopped that train. No one no one wanted to break the cult of personality and say, hey guys, this is a bad idea. Uh, like someone then, said, what if flamethrowers were cool? And someone's like, well, we have the budget in the boring company. Yeah, I mean, at some point there's a human element of like the six people in the boardroom with Elon Musk. Everyone's afraid to tell this man that it's a bad idea. And that has nothing yeah. to do with business proposition. That has nothing to do with any of their education levels or qualifications. It's literally human nature that, you know what, sometimes it's either not worth my time. It's scary. Turns out adults are still in high school is all I've learned. Um, but that's a that's a yeah. whole other tangent. Boring company. So, what so is how do you, like how do you recognize that your value proposition has gone off the rails? I mean, as a company, like if you're offering something, how do you recognize your value prop has gone off the rails? I mean, if you stop making money, that's that's a simplistic answer. If I start selling candles and I end up selling mechanical flying monkeys, and this company is still making money, fuck it. Like that's that's great. Why not? We have evolved to selling mechanical flying monkeys because our value proposition has evolved rapidly. And that's honestly impressive that whoever is manning those product decisions is so in tune with their users that they got all the way from candles to mechanical monkeys in six months and just like sprinted through that change management. But I think it is when you, there are technical KPIs, like new users per month. Kristen's talked a lot about like float, average users per month, that kind of like the the interaction with the end user. There are a lot of KPIs there that you can use to measure value proposition. And, you know, in the command center of these company, of this company, you are using those to try to gauge, you know, do people want this? Along with sales data and inventory data and all of that kind of thing. 
but you guys have big box experience. I don't, I don't fucking know how to sell a box product. I mean, we don't either because someone else does it for you. <laughs> oh, fair. Touche. Uh, I can't argue with that. I do think I mean, there's like, a separation. Oh, sorry. No, is it like, I mean, that's not completely fair because it's like somebody else does the marketing for us and then people just like show up. Like it's not our job at a big box retailer to convince people to arrive at our location. It is our job once we're there to maximize the opportunity of the person who has arrived at our location. And then from there, that's how you're judged on your individual salesmanship. But like, otherwise, like people just kind of show up. We don't have to try and convince them to buy our electric vehicle, which seems insane for where we are in technology. You know, like it's a whole different gambit. So I actually, I actually have a question for you because I've, never i mean i've been front facing but not in a way that mattered well <laughs> like you have uh so you have like competing companies that you are selling how do you establish your like your value prop of what you like everything is not purely passed down from on high so if someone like how do you with your team establish an individual value prop for your store of i want to sell the lenovo versus the hp versus the samsung versus the whatever like how do you how do you establish value props for your customers in a big box retail environment We've we've lost Ben again. Um, ben should never have filters. Ben is not allowed to have filters anymore. Yeah, he doesn't even get blurred actually... background. He gets no. nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. This is so, like, yeah. And I think the um the illusion will say mm, it's not really illusion. That's not, we'll come back to that. But um of unbiased because we are were <laughs> I don't work there anymore. Um non commission sales is that we are providing you with the best product based on what you said you needed. So that becomes, when you're talking about PCs, um, almost just always hypothetically. Just, yeah, hypothetically, personal computers. It's almost always spec for spec. And then let's say there's a company called Schmapple <laughs> 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 that offers a competing product at a very different level of performance. and um, What's the word I'm looking for? The physical features, like mm -hmm. just say metal instead of plastic. Yep. Right. It costs more, but it does certain things. So that's like the identification of what your customer needs slash wants, because sometimes those are not the same thing. And sometimes they don't know the difference and helping them figure out what, what the best solution is for them based on what they've given you. So I feel like it's a little bit of detective work and digging. And then presenting them with a solution or options or like, hey, I think this solution might be best for you because of the things that you told me X, Y, and Z. This could also be a good alternative though because of X, Y, and Z. It just depends on the customer too because like if somebody's looking for like a full, like a, they need like a whole thing set up or they're just like, I just need a shitty laptop to get my, my kid through college and I don't want to spend more than 500 bucks. Perfect. I can fucking, I can... That's a like no problem that we have handled. Um, but you just your, nailed the value proposition. Like that's shitty, shitty laptop to get your kid through college. Yeah, boom, got it. Yeah, but that's like the thing is like you're you're finding out what the customer actually needs or wants, and then providing them with a solution that fits those needs, which I feel like is different than creating a solution for something that you think is a need, mm. and then convincing mm. other people that they think it's a need. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I, I mean, my question would be, is a value proposition, if you thought of it as a problem, is it not going to be a problem in the future for other people? Absolutely, because that's literally what I do. Yeah. Aww, you're such I a worry helper. about all the things for all the people <laughs> and create solutions for all the things that haven't happened yet and will happen and have yet to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never sleep. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what I'm learning is yeah. a value prop is just, it's called a value prop or it's called a solution only based on how far ahead of the issue you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, like still... I want to I fight it. I, I hate that I'm right on this. In all of my book learning, though, I still hate the problem solution vocabulary words. Uh, I just, man, I disagreed with my teachers on this. Maybe I'm wrong. Whoever's listening to this, like a lot of other college educated people disagree with me. So who knows? But I think that using the word problem and solution is kind of like an archaic scientific term or financial term that doesn't really mean what it means colloquially anymore. If I'm defining, if I go to define a value proposition for anything, or like I have a value proposition, the first thing a college textbook on business is going to tell you is they go, okay, what is the problem statement? What is the problem someone's experiencing? Sure, that's great from a simplistic perspective. If I break my leg, my problem is I have a broken leg. I need a splint. The splint's value is it helps me heal. But as our perspective on products has evolved, and as we do a lot more like anthropology and psychology and you know all this shit, finding all the reasons that people buy products fundamentally, it's often not a problem. And using the word problem, I think, confuses a lot of people. It is simply a statement that means, what is the desire, right? What is the desire of the end user, which could be a problem. It could simply be a novelty. It could be an improvement on a situation that is not necessarily a problem. And I think that using the word problem is confusing. It should be thought of more as, as a desire, really. And they might not know they have this desire, but there's an improvement that could be made somewhere. Yeah, like my phone was marketed to me because it allowed you hands-off features to start recording, and it allowed you different Zoom settings automatically inbuilt into the cameras for the idea that you would be TikToking or streaming off of your phone. Mm -hmm. Me, my phone stopped charging, so I needed a new phone. That's a problem statement. But what was sold to me was, do you want a phone that you can activate recording by holding up your hand for a certain amount of time? And can you, like, does it auto-zoom knowing it has a three-time optical zoom, but a six-time or a 12-time digital zoom, know how far away you Ooh. are to keep the video clarity as clear and crisp as possible and i'm like literally don't care just need a phone that charges that i can take pictures with and so for me when they gave me their value <clears throat> proposition of this camera is so great i'm like no what i care about is i care about a phone that my files transfer to with no issues and you it brought works. up a good point though the concept of product and end user is something that I said we would talk about and then we never really did, but that will be a whole nother episode is the, the end user and the user stories expanding on problem and problem statements. You have an end user of your product or service or whatever it might be. Uh, they have a problem. 
they might not have a problem. You could be just improving something. But their experience using it, as David stated, he doesn't give a shit about what was marketed. He is using this phone that can do a thousand things for 80 things. So how do you have one problem or how do you have one product that markets to a hundred different problem statements so that you can then sell a million of these devices? That's a whole different conversation that goes into user stories, uh, end users, and user experience, uh, caricatures or characters, storyboards, all that kind of stuff, which is honestly really fun. It's a lot of like, put it on the list. It's a lot of like play make believe and just kind of write shit on a whiteboard. But because yeah, I think that's one of the hard things to deal with for me as a person when I try and find (laughs) I transcribe problems that really piss me off. But trying to solve problems that piss a thousand different people off in a thousand different ways is a, like for me, for creating a value proposition on a large scale. It's a bigger question. I can create a value proposition for 14 people. I can create a value proposition for 100 people. But once you get into, like, we need to sell this to America, what? that's when it becomes <laughs> a, yeah, like, what I don't even know. Like, we can't decide totally. on anything. So Or splitting so hairs between splitting hairs between the addressable market and the user stories like two samsung phones the s21 and the s21 plus the value proposition for a given smartphone i don't know it's a smartphone it lets me connect to the internet it makes me a more connected person is that single sentence i talked about at the very beginning of the episode in the context of a product with so many different use cases and such an integral part of someone's life that value proposition means fucking nothing it makes me a more connected person. That is some like nebulous salesman bullshit that you would see in a Samsung commercial. While accurate is not diving down into the feature definition or the product management or the engineering needed to make a lot of the decisions of is this phone going to be, you know, is it going to use hand gestures or does no one care about that? And that's the whole career of product management is defining these micro value propositions for much, much larger products. So like a value proposition doesn't necessarily mean a product. It could also mean a million features on a product. You have to value yeah. proposition every single feature on the product. Totally. Which I think the like, default. To, like to Ben's argument is the pedanticness of the word that's being used to describe what it actually is. Like elevator pitch, value proposition, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it is the or the the problem versus the solution because like you said like they're not all like problems like your bro- like your bones have been broken sometimes it's just like i just really want a cocktail mix and a spotify playlist right. you know what i mean like problem is the vocab like, word we use in text yes yeah, yeah it's not like a problem problem and like i think part of the thing and this is what probably gets people like hooked on the concept of becoming an overnight success or a shark tank millionaire is like coming up with that random fucking idea that like completely resonates with a bunch of people that you literally have no idea it's going to resonate with until you actually do the thing like there's no like no no science like maybe he asked his 25 friends to your point who are probably echo chambered and like him hey wouldn't it be cool if i made a candle so like like on their own, his candles are fun and interesting. They have funny names and cool smells and whatever. And then like they added this element of QR codes with a playlist and a cocktail list. Like you don't know that that's going to go viral or become a thing until like it actually does. And I think people kind of get tricked into thinking that that's possible. Like the iPad or <clears throat> I mean the Wii, the Wii is a whole thing too. Like 
who would have thought that that was a fucking I do love absolute the insane thing as a as a case study, the iPad, a proposing a value proposition that isn't necessarily a problem by the colloquial definition. Yeah. Nobody fucking needed an iPad before the iPad came no out. It's not solving a problem in conversational terms, but it absolutely filled a need. Look how many iPads exist. Look how many of us use tablets and the concept of a tablet. And they are awesome, to be honest. Uh, but that wasn't solving a known problem. That was proposing something. And I think that's what... That's what you're really doing, is you are proposing something to a group of people. Hopefully those people have money. And if you propose it in the right way, they will give you that money. Which I feel like is almost full circle to our prior episode that we recorded at a more sober state of mind in which we discussed change management. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. How do you get people on your side? Yep. This is a thing that I think is pretty cool. And I feel like this is how it would benefit you. And people are like, yeah, okay, I can see that. And then it fucking spreads. Like, did we just crack the code? I think we cracked the code. Yeah, I mean, I still think gaps. nine out of ten ideas are bad. So that's, that's not true. Ev- that's, that's a why, To call back to last episode, that's why everyone <laughs> needs an asshole. <laughs> Fair. Touche. <laughs> ben can be your asshole. I am entirely joking. I believe the opposite. I think nearly 100% of ideas are good. I think the question is whether they are worth it. Mm-hmm. Is the amount of effort that it takes to implement your idea worth the solution of the value that it provides? That's the real question. I think most ideas are good because most ideas are generated when you're experiencing a problem. So the best part is we can help with that. Yeah. (laughs) Pay me money and I'll talk to you about this more. Yeah. Because like, I love that for you, but I just got so tired. (laughs) (laughs) You doing okay? Yeah, I had a lot of wine. Okay. How are things? In... Oh, that's like a whole nother episode. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll let you in know after my, my millennial candles and adult happy meal. <laughs> um, in summation, David, what did we learn from Benjamin? Ooh, it, I mean, we learned a lot of really, really good things. But I feel like uh, the big thing is you... God damn it. Drink. Fucking time. Oh, seriously. The fuck, man? Uh, I think what you learn is that your value prop is usually generated from the very first idea you have. What you need to determine is, one, do do other people give a shit about it? Two, can you provide what you need to do that? And then uh, three, just understand that as more people add their voices, you may adjust your idea of what people need. Or you may not. If you're, or you may not fuck them. If you're me, <laughs> <laughs> if you're right the first time, you don't need to adjust your idea at all. Sometimes it's less about how right I am and how wrong other people are. Mm. And I if I prefer... can, <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> if if I can convince them of how wrong they are, then I still win. I I can't argue with that. You are going to be a cult <laughs> leader. Oh, absolutely. Guaranteed. You guys, like, I literally add you people say to my cult on a weekly basis. I like, there you are say people... that like she doesn't already have a cult. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there are, like, legit committed people to one or both variations of the cult membership. So oh, is this the, uh, is the pets cult and the just normal cult? No, uh, there's, like, Animal Sanctuary in Mexico on a beach condo. I thought those version. were the same cult. Nope, those are different. I mean, they can uh, eventually, they can have the same kinds of elements, but in my mind, 
It's very specific animal sanctuary in the Pacific Northwest where we have like gardens and like oh, hippies okay. and like animals and people can like make clothes and shit. And then I, in was, Mexico, I was I was on different. board with the Mexico animal sanctuary cult. I yeah, I mean, like, there will always, I love animals. So, like, we're going to have a whole bunch of fucking stray animals because, like, Mexico also doesn't stay uh, yeah, yeah, so that's fair, yeah. We'll have a lot of dogs and cats, maybe some goats and chickens and horses. So, yeah, okay. Ben, yeah, I'm on board. Are you on, I'm board? on board? Yeah. See, just like that. Fucking value proposition, motherfucker. <laughs> Sold. Sold. That adds value to my life. I'm on board. Everything, Everything is terrible. Everything is terrible. <laughs> fucking nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>